so I'm gonna talk about the yoga vasishta uh, on the affective sources of disease. Uh, and I want to frame my talk in the context of contemporary yoga, just with some data. Uh, you know, yoga as an embodied practice of postures, breathing, and meditative techniques has penetrated into the mainstream way of relating to our bodies. So approximately 36 million of active yoga practitioners in America, and there are 300 million worldwide. One in three Americans have tried yoga at least once. 300 million of yoga practitioners uh, worldwide. 72% of yoga practitioners are female, and one in 10 US adults use yoga as a complementary health approach. And alternative complementary and holistic approaches to health recognize the influence of affective aspects in the different stages of development of a disease. And many of these um, uh, psychosomatic theories of the body deploy um, concepts and categories from yoga philosophies, which have uh, proved helpful for the practice, um, the contemporary, the, the complementary practice of medicine. Uh, however, there are still many yogic texts, uh, many yogic textual sources that talk on the relationship between body and mind uh, that, that remain or underexplored. And one of them is the Yoga Vasishta, uh, or the Yoga Osage Vasishta, which can be dated around the 8th uh, or 10th century. Uh, it's, we don't know who wrote it. Uh, it has been influenced by multiple schools uh, of Indian thought, such as Vedanta, Yogacara Buddhism, and Kashmir Shaivism. And, it's and it is ma uh, mainly a dialogue between Sage Vasishta and Prince Raman. I'll uh, tell you a little bit more about that. In this text, Vasishta offers therapeutic advice to Prince Rama, who has fallen into a deep state of depression. Vasishta's psychosomatic theory of disease appears embedded in the story of Chudala and Shikidwaya, which is located in the uh, chapter 81 of the Nirvana Prakarana, one of the six uh, uh, books of this uh, huge text. And in these passages, Vasishta claims that most diseases have an emotional source and that we have a certain control over our affective life. According to Vasishta, it is through the cultivation of joy, understood as the blissful tranquility of the mind, ananda, that results from emotional purification that we can heal from disease. So in the following, I don't know, I have 15, 20 minutes, I shall present Vasishta's psychosomatical model theory as it is found in the Yoga Vasishta. And I will not focus on the, uh, on the original or earlier version of the Yoga Vasishta, which is called the Mokshopaya, because I'm interested in the way the text arrived, it's, uh, in, in, the, in the way the text has come to us rather than in the original version. Uh, but if some, uh, um, I mean, it might be uh, a further project to compare how this uh, theory that appears in the Vulgata version of the Yoga Vasishta compares to the original or the earlier uh, text according to uh, Professor Walter Slage. So the specific problem that I tackle in this paper has to do with the psychosomatic thesis. This is that among the various causes of disease, one of the most important has its source in our affective life. And so if the affective life is primarily experienced objectively, and the subject is defined by its constitutive freedom from the object, as it is done in yoga and in, yo and in the yoga of Vasishta, 
then there must be a sense in which this subject has at least some control over her affective life and thus over her health. So the philosophical problem, I'm asking the question, how much control do we have upon one's own mental agitations, particularly on the affective sources of disease, and thus upon one's own healing? So um, this is the outline of my paper and of my talk. Um, so, so I want to show how uh, Yoga Vasishta uh, and Vasishta's typology of disease accommodates the subjective feeling of the experience of disease as something that affects us while being at the same time an experience that we can transcend and in this way heal. I'm going to go deeper into Vasishta's use of the famous Vedanta analogy, the snake and the rope, when he that he uses to explain our experience of incurable diseases. And I will show in what way it is problematic and in what way we can interpret it from a feminist intersectional perspective inspired by the writer Johanna Hedwas Manifesto Woman Theory. And I'll tell you a little bit more about this towards the end uh, to make my critique to uh, Bashista's um, way of using the metaphor a little bit clearer. So, um, in the Yoga Vasishta, the model, the medical model found in the Yoga Vasishta appears in the context of Vasishta's advice to Prince Rama, who, after traveling around the whole country and seeing the miseries and troubles of life, came back to the palace feeling a complete lack of motivation and, exi and existential meaning. The king, worried about his son's indifference of the pleasant activities of the royal life, such as dancing, playing, and other gatherings, asked the sages in the court for help. Among all sages, it was Vasishta who demonstrated to be the most prepared to treat Rama, mainly through a series of embedded stories that would allow him to see the true nature of the world and thus liberate him from his existential sorrow. So in the middle of the story of Chudala and Chikidwaya, Rama inquires about health and disease. Vashishta then proceeds to explain his psychosomatic model not without making important distinctions. And here I put them so that you can see them as I speak. Psychosomatic diseases are the type of diseases where a physical ailment arises from mental disturbance or anxiety, the adi. But there are also physical ailments, vihadi, especially the ones with an external source that can be followed by mental anxiety or that might be, may appear together with mental disturbance. The sage divides physical diseases into two types. Those that have their sources in the activities of daily life, or samania, and those that come from birth or are congenital, like the sara. The former ones can be remedied and prevented by taking care of immediate needs, such as good nutrition, good company, proper environment, good habits, good sleep, uh, even conventional medical treatments. The congenital ones can be attenuated or prevented from emerging primarily by avoiding mental anxieties. However, all ailments, whether somatic, ordinary, congenital, psychological, or psychosomatic, have their origin, according to Vasishta, in ignorance, avidya. Well, they can be treated with medicaments, therapeutic devices, or by, be, or by cultivating an appropriate mental and affective state, the real cure to them 
is according to Vasishta, the existential state of liberation or moksha, because their origin is not mental distress, but a particular state of consciousness. This caveat is important because it distinguishes between cessation of a disease, what I am translating as vinashyate, and true healing, a difference that becomes evident in Vasishta's ultimate remedy for con congenital and mental diseases, both of which, he says, can only be destroyed, nashyati, with knowledge of the self or the atmanyana. This point will become clearer after I discuss Vasishta's theory of psychosomatic disease in light of the sick woman perspective. Now, we need to remember that the yoga Vasishta does not metaphysically oppose the mind, chitta, or a soul to the body. In Vasishta's universe, everything is made out of consciousness, chit, including the physical body. The relation between mind and body is thus not a relation between two different substances, but between two levels of ideations of consciousness, which influence each other as agitations or vibrations, spanda. In this way, explains the sage, when the mind is distressed, the body gets equally disturbed, and that's where he uses the term sankshuba. Now, we also need to understand that the psychosomatic theory of, um, in the yoga vasishta is not necessarily causal, causal, but coincidental. It is not that the emotion, or the mental motion, or the notion, causes the disturbance in the body. It is rather that we see it associated and explain it causally through our conceptual projections, but the bodily disturbance is just consciousness in motion, in a particular state of agitation. And this agrees with the causal theory that can be found in the Yoga Vasishta, which is pretty much the theory of non-causality, uh, which is usually exhibited in the story of a crow that lands in a palm tree, and at the same time that it lands, the, tree, the, the, the fruit fall, falls, and that uh, way of understanding causality is called the kakataliya. Now, returning to the idea of distress or disturbance, the example given by Vasishta is that of a person who, overcome by anger, cannot think or see very well, and thus, acts in ways that may be detrimental to herself. A person affected by anxiety or other psychological ailments might make decisions that adversely affect her body, such as irregular eating, sleeping, and daily patterns. Due to the mind-body agitation or samshoba, the vital winds, the prana vayus, that flow throughout, through our body fall out of balance causing the physiological systems that they nurture to fail and the substances that run through them to clog up or dry out. Now, we don't, uh, it's not that, um, we don't know or I don't know if there is any relationship with the Yoga Vasishta and the Ayurvedic uh, model of medicine, but it is very interesting to notice that just as in the Ayurvedic medicine, Vasishta considers that the first bodily system to become affected by mind-bodily imbalance is digestion. As the central process of the body, just as Vujastik uh, explains, uh, digestion turns food into chyle, then body's heat turns chyle into blood, blood is transformed into flesh, and the process goes until the rest of the body's tissues are generated. 
since the physical disease is produced by an imbalance in our vital flows, and these ones are affected by our mental states, it is necessary to address these in order to eliminate the physical ailment. So Vasishta then gives his th therapeutic advice. Purify your mind with mantras and procure the company of virtuous and wise people. Now, the use of mantras in, uh, for healing comes from the ancient Vedic medical tradition. As other scholars have explained, diseases were considered to have been brought by demons and other supernatural beings. And mantras were recited to dispel the demons from the affected body during healing rites and were also used during preparation of herbal medicines, antidotes, and remedies, a practice that was preserved in Ayurvedic manuals. Now, the mantras that Vasishta refers to as therapeutic, yara, lava, are uh, or coincide with the bija mantras or the seed sacred, sacred syllables used before the beginning of a tantric ritual to remove the defilements of the mundane body and transform it into a divine image. The rite of the purification of the elements, the shutabuti, involved the visualization of the worshiper's own body as reenacting the destruction of the cosmos through the dissolution of the natural elements into their primal material amorphous source. So along with the visualization, bijas were chanted repeatedly to actualize the transformation produced due to the sonic nature of the mantras, which represent the vibration of basic cosmic powers. So for example, yam, the bija of wind, ram, the seed of fire, lam, the seed of earth, and vam, the seed of water. So in uttering the mantra, the body of the worshiper, or the ill person in this case, will experience dissolution into its elemental components, removing with that all defilements, mental and physical. So in the tantric ritual, Buddha-shuddhi is followed by the recreation of the worshiper's body, now as a divine and perfected visualization of the cosmos. However, in the Yoga Vasishta, the company of the sages is suggested as a complement for the mantra recitation. Perhaps because by spending time with those whose minds are already pure, or with those who have cleansed their hearts and minds, the ill person would be able to reconfigure her body and visualize herself anew, having the image of the sage or the teacher and their life as a model. Now, Vasishta is not explicit on this, but one thing he makes clear, that once the mind has been assuaged and a state of quiet contentment, upashana, is achieved, an overall subtle feeling of joy or ananda emerges, and then it spreads all over the body, healing it. This feeling, a bhavana, of joyful tranquility is the mark of the purified mind and generates a healing mood, a bhava, that brings back the homeostatic flow of the vital breath, alleviates digestion, and ceases our disease. So Vasishta Sananda is a state that arises independently of the effect of a joyful circumstance. Originally, in this paper, I have, I mean, the original uh, um, paper, 
This is just a version of a paper where I compare Vasishta's model of, of psychosomatics with Descartes' model of psychosomatics, because when uh, Descartes, uh, in his letters to Prince Elizabeth, uh, one of the uh, most famous statements in those letters, Descartes says to Elizabeth, who has been um, uh, uh, suffering from uh, constant cold, Descartes says, one of the main causes of low fever is sadness. And then he proceeds to explain to Queen Elizabeth how to heal her, uh, her sadness through this intellectual, independent movement of the soul, which is able to focus just on the positive, happy images, regardless of any circumstance. So Vasishta is telling Rama something very similar uh, when he uh, talks about the cultivation of this visualization and purification of the body, regardless of the circumstance, we are supposed to generate this healing mood that will bring back our body into uh, a healing state. So this ananda entails getting rid of all mental agitation, including the intellectual. And since this mental quietness spreads immediately through the body, like a beautiful metaphor that he gives, like the moon rays over the earth, the intellectual feeling quickly becomes indistinguishable from its homologous emotional state, which would be sukha, or what I call embodied joy. So now we can see uh, that uh, Vasishta's medical theory of psychosomatic diseases claims two things. One, that there is an affective source at the root of many, if not most of our diseases, uh, or at least mental, uh, and that is that root is the mental anxiety or mental agitation. And the second claim is that we have some control over the affective cause of our disease. That is, we have the choice of engaging in purifying practices. Yet, Vasishta admits that the lack of control over our diseases could be compared to the metaphor of wild elephants splashing on a river as they cross over it. In times of sickening distress, we cannot help but suffer the disturbance of our vital breaths. And this metaphor recognizes that the subjective, uh, the, recognizes what we experience phenomenologically in, in, in illness, that the subjective feeling of uncontrollable disruption, especially those with elephantic proportions, fall upon us. So perhaps it was uh, the witnessing, it was witnessing this type of uncontrollable commotion in people's lives during his travels around the country that caused the Prince Rama to lose all motivation and meaning in life. Somehow observing other people's suffering awakened this 16-year-old prince to the realization of the incurable vulnerability of, of human lives. His lack of interest in all activities could have been interpreted as depression in our society. Instead, it was seen as a sign of the highest wisdom by the Hindu sages, as an opportunity for dialogue and learning. They thought that Rama was close to the state of liberation, for he had completely detached from all desires and pleasures of this world. Yet his mind was not fully purified because he continued to feel aversion. Vasishta's role as an enlightened sage was to heal him from such mental agitation. 
So Vasishta advises to calm the mind from all its turmoil in order to produce a joyful quietness that is healing for the body. But this is accompanied by the warning that not all diseases can be cured with just an embodied feeling of bliss. Without knowledge of the self, congenital diseases and mental anxieties cannot be destroyed. And to illustrate how this works, Vashishta compared, compared it with the misperception of the snake in the rope. Through healing, he says, not merely the cessation of disease, but its destruction is like true perception. Only this one can tell us that the snake that we see is in reality a rope. But what is the snake that we see when we suffer an incurable, and include here all chronic disease? What kind of mistake could we be making in the experience of our own illness? The snake and the rope scenario points at the mistake of perceiving X, that's the rope, as Y, a snake, without noticing that Y is in reality X. Is Vasishta saying that when we perceive or experience ourselves as ill, we perceive ourselves mistakenly because in reality, our true self is not really ill? This interpretation, I argue, or this interpretation of the analogy would present many phenomenological problems. For one, when we experience ourselves as ill, it doesn't matter if we are not ill in reality. What matters is the experience itself, which does not vanish with the information that there is no disease in my body or that I am never really ill. Perhaps we can understand the analogy as referring to a mistake that we make when we perceive our disease as something, as X, but we should rather perceive it as Y. Vasishta could be telling us that our experience of disease is like our false perception of a snake in the rope because we perceive it as something that comes to us without desiring when we should think of it as some error we have made and can correct by putting some effort or by changing our perceives or beliefs. This reading reflects Vasishta's position that we have some control over the experience of our, of our disease, mainly the modification of our mental and affective states, which can be attained with the practice of, of mantras and learning from the company of wise people. But it conflicts with the original purpose of the analogy, which was to offer the remedy for diseases over which we have no control. So I think this tension in the metaphor of uh, uh, um, the snake in the rope could be solved if we read it from uh, the sick woman theory. And that's where I want to introduce you to um, Johanna Hedwa, who is a writer and she, uh, she wrote the sick woman theory in 2015 to make visible the experience of those who like her live with chronic illness and that are subject to political, racial, economical, sexual, and other type of oppressions resulting from patriarchy, colonialism, and capitalism. In her manifesto, she uh, is trying to make us understand illness not merely as a biological phenomenon, but as a social and cultural one. The body and mind are defined by their vulnerability and not temporarily affected by it. So the implication of this woman theory is that the body is continuously reliant on infrastructures of support in order to endure. And so we need to reshape the world around this fact. So the term sick woman refers thus to anyone, 
male, female, or gender fluid, who is systematically denied from the privilege of receiving care in any of its forms. So how do I use this uh, theory to interpret Vasista's metaphor? Well, from this perspective, we could understand that congenital diseases as well as mental anxieties do not arise within the individual alone, but within and from a context that uh, the individual inherits, either from family or society as a whole. In this sense, when Vasishta traces the root of congenital diseases and mental anxieties to an original state of ignorance, we should not understand it as something that is embedded in one person alone or in one individual mind, but in the minds of all. It is not just up to the individual who suffers a disease to choose the right images or the right thoughts or the right practices or the persons that will bring her to a better corporeal and mental place. For even having access to the therapeutic advice might be out of one's personal reach. It is not gratuitous that Vasishta is talking to a member of the royalty rather than to a disabled, non-educator, or otherwise outcast member of society, for example. Yet, however, whatever the social context of the dialogue might be, and here, this dialogue is appearing in the context of a story where a woman is the teacher, that is the guru. Uh, but whatever the social context of the dialogue, we must notice that it is the narrative act of addressing his interlocutor, through multiple stories that makes the healing movement of the soul and the purification of the mind possible. The ignorance that Vashista talks about is not a lack of knowledge, but knowledge of false things. To believe that one knows that something is the case when it is actually not so is called delusion. But it is not only the individual who can reproduce deluded ideas of health uh, education, government, economical systems, etc. Whole societies and social discourses are needed to actualize them. The deluded mind, says Vasishta, is vulnerable to likes and dislikes and to its desires of ownership and appropriation, which are the real obstacles to a tranquil mind. A society run by mentally agitated people will inevitably subdue everybody to improper eating, unhealthy habits, and less than joyful experiences. Now, I'm not suggesting that Vasishta had this in mind when he introduced the snake and rope disease analogy. But the philosophical implications of his analogy when read through the feminist concerns of the sick woman reveals that the claim joy has therapeutic effects in our bodies, if meaningfully true, must take joy as rising from a social common choice in the autonomous actualization of caring for one another. Even ordinary diseases, easily remediable per Vasista's definition, are in many cases not so because the goods necessary for a person to sustain her body or mind, the very, need, the very means that makes possible the autonomous generation of intellectual joy and tranquility are not able or are not available to her due to class, race, color, gender, disability, or loneliness or isolation. To paraphrase one of Vasishta's verses that appear in this uh, passage, just as the social order decays when there is bad government, the vital winds cannot work harmonically if one's breathing is oppressed. 
an intimate relation between health, freedom, joy, friendship, and social justice becomes evident if Vasishta's analogy of the snake in the rope is read with the sick woman in mind. So to conclude, according to the Yoga Vasishta, liberation is attained through knowledge of the self. True perception of oneself is knowing that we are in reality pure consciousness, a mind with no agitation and no illness. But the snake in the rope mistake does not lie in perceiving oneself as ill, when in reality the self is never so. Rather, the mistake consists, this is my argument, in perceiving the world as healthy, when in reality existence itself is a dis-ease, a product of the agitation of the mind. So real healing does not necessarily mean that the disease is cured or that the machine is fixed, like uh, Jessica was telling us, but that we destroy its image as pathological. Vasishta's bliss, Ananda, can be medicine when the peace of mind that is attained arises in the recognition of the, incurability, of, of the incurable vulnerability of our bodies, of the ontological instability of existence, and of the need to protect each other through mantras, as Vasishta says, but above all, through accessible, empathic, just, and mutual holistic care. So thank you.